everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Ampliverse Book Club. We are back, your book connoisseurs in the Ampliverse, RJ and Allie, here to ready to talk about our new book of the month. It is called, and it's a, a doozy, The Phone Booth at the Edge of the World, a novel by Laura Imai Messina. There she is. Oh, are those my painted nails? Yes, they are. I, is that why you're holding the book so close to the camera? <laughs> Can you guys see the book? Uh, are you able to see the book? <laughs> Do uh, tap them. Thirty minutes. Our Adam, our producer, said, "Keep this thirty minutes. <laughs> We're <Okay>. already <laughs> starting strong with some ASMR work." Spent a really good minute so far. Yeah, it's been a great minute. Yes. Yeah, so this month we read the novel "The Phone Booth at the Edge of the World." by Laura and Mai Messina. Let me read you the jacket copy just to refresh your mems. When Yui loses her mother and daughter in the tsunami, she wonders how she will ever carry on and begins to mark time in relation to that terrible day in 2011. Yet in the face of this unthinkable loss, her life must somehow continue. One day at work as the host of a call-in radio program, Yui hears a story about a man on Whale Mountain, one of the places worst hit by the tsunami who has an old telephone booth in his garden with a disconnected phone inside. As news of the phone booth and its wind phone spreads, people start coming from miles around to speak to loved ones, finding comfort in sharing the details of their daily lives with those they have lost. But when Yui, numb with grief, makes her own pilgrimage, she can't bring herself to pick up the receiver. Then she meets Takeshi, a widower whose own daughter has stopped talking in the wake of her mother's death. Inspired by true events, Laura Mai Messina's international best-selling novel, The Phone Booth at the Edge of the World, is a moving, unforgettable story about the depths of grief, the lightness of love, and the human longing to keep the people who are no longer with us close to our hearts. Oof, a mouthful. Um, mm. So I really do want to start by saying first with this book, um, Let's start with the format first, because it is yes, a very, very unique different. format. Very yes. different. I want to say there were, let me look real quick, 60 something, 70. 70 chapters? I think 70. Oh my God, <laughs> we're doing a great start. Uh, there are 74 this. chapters. And then and an a, epilogue. Uh, and then an epilogue. And then I, I'm going to be honest right now, I literally just realize that there is a note at the end that the wind phone is not a tourist destination. Don't look for it. Don't try to find it. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to read that later. <laughs> okay. I felt a controversial way about the note at Do, the you end. You know what if... Oh, okay. At the end, yeah. Just because I was like, okay, but you just wrote a a book like a fictionalized account I don't know I just it it struck me and I don't it's it's don't I don't know I I feel bad saying this like and I don't like I'm not trying to be like a dick about it but I just I read it and I was like to me like tourism is is this idea that like there's no entertainment value should be derived from it and I feel like okay, but you just wrote a book about it. And I know that's not the point. I Like, she yes. was very respectful about it. And yeah, and I, yeah. I get what she's trying to do. I understand she's do, that yeah. she's, like, saying, like, don't just go there to see it. 
So yes, I, don't I, I like. Take, yeah, I take back everything I said. I'm just being an asshole. I'm sorry. No, I agree. I think there's like a. I think that like there should be a reverence in these types of situations, and so I do understand what what she's trying to do there. But yeah, it does kind of like defeat the purpose a little bit of like, but you just told us how important it is for like places to have this much meaning for people. So it's like, um, I think like sometimes the work should have been done. I mean, this book, the story is based off of a, uh, this American life story, mm-hmm. like about this wind foam. Um, but anyway, let's go back. <laughs> let's the talk format. about the format. So 74 chapters and every chapter alternates between prose Yes. And then a list, literally, like, usually it's, like, songs or that an, I listen to today. Yeah, or, or an like, address. Or, or an address. Yeah. It's, like, very, um, very cold that way because it refers to an actual either list or something that is just, like, facts on a piece of paper mm-hmm. um, that either pertains to the, a previous chapter or something that was brought up. Um which I am, I am, I went to school for theater. I love stuff like that where it makes the audience be like, oh, like it does make you step, uh, like step back to see like what they're trying to do and make you aware that like you are reading a book. This is not like, you're not engrossed in it. it and that like constant, like you're pulled in and then all of a sudden you're out and in and out. Like it, it made me interested in it. And I mean, it made me read it a lot faster because it like helped kind of break up that for me. I think I'm, and I'm just realizing this now. I think what's also interesting about it is when you think about um, natural disasters or tragedies or things like that, when things are reported Mm -hmm. on, they're reported on in a way similar to how she would format those alternating chapters. And so I thought it was, as I'm, I'm realizing this now, it's really kind of an interesting way to kind of look at things from that, uh, you know, kind of detached point of view where it's like, well, why would I care what they were wearing the first time that they said, I love you to each other, you know, but it's like, but then you're getting the actual context and you're understanding mm-hmm. like the feeling and the stories and the emotions behind it. So I think it's in that way too. I think it's really interesting the way that she did that. Yeah. It's like a really good tactic that I have never seen in a book before. I feel like I've seen this more in theater where, yeah, you do get to kind of like live in that and get really specific on things, but doing this in a, in a novel format really, yeah, I think highlighted that of like, in natural disasters, like, like you said, like you are so faced with the facts all the time that like, what if we apply that in real life? Like, will that make you feel more pulled or more like emotional or more emotionally invested in, in like, yeah, like small moments, like a daughter, what, what they had for lunch that day or like mm-hmm. what songs you, we played in the radio that day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm glad you liked it. Cause I liked it too. And it, I, and it really did help me as a person who is like a lazy reader. It really helped me be like, oh, wow, like that chapter was so short. I'm like, yeah, checking just it just all of a sudden you're in chapter 50. I'm like, wow, cool. Awesome. Yeah. It's yeah, great. definitely. Um, how do you feel about the just the book in general? Because I, I there is like a central narrative, obviously a central plot about Yui and like her uh 
ultimately her goal of like finding a way to come like full circle with her grief. It always felt to me though, like the stakes of the story is so internal and so not small because obviously this is not a small thing for a person to go through, but Mm -hmm. it's so internal that it felt truly more like I was like getting instruction on how to like suss out like the phases of grief. Like it felt very instructional in that way of like, Mm -hmm. if I knew someone that like was going through a loss, I would be like, read this book because it really helps you kind of pace what you're about to go through. Yeah. I think what I found interesting about it and kind of the number one thing that struck me was that it wasn't a plot forward book. Like it wasn't really a book where there's clear guideposts along the way where you're like, okay, this happened, which led to this, which led to this, you know, it's very much just like, to me, the, the entire novel is just a portrait of grief and what it looks like mm-hmm. and how it changes between different people it's it's yeah. to me it was less about the plot and what's driving everything forward and more just about creating this character study of someone who's experiencing grief very acutely yes i agree and i like it wasn't like it wasn't the story of yui or or the characters that were like pulling me it was more just like the genuine like interest and like I want to see how it manifests through the different like characters and um like the instances that happen um but let's let let us talk about Yui for a little bit uh you know the the overall narrative like we said like the overall plot is that like she doesn't want to go into the phone booth and at the end of the book, she finally does after mm-hmm. literally like standing in the middle of a hurricane, performing yeah. the tempest, like literally in the <laughs> middle of just like she being blown by the wind. In the- <laughs> literally, I'm like, oh my God, just go in the booth, just go in it. And like, obviously, like the whole idea of like the booth saved her, right? Like it formed mm-hmm. a barricade to protect her from the storm. Um, it did feel like though, like for me, when that happened, I was like, it doesn't matter if you go in any, like, I almost don't care of like her going in anymore or not, because it's like, I've seen all these other leaps and bounds that you've created for yourself that I'm like, and maybe that's the point. Like you're, you're like at the end, it does kind of seem trivial. Like, yeah, just go in there. Just talk to your, just talk to them. Like you've gone through so much to kind of like save this phone booth so that other people can have this experience of like facing their grief. Mm -hmm. Um, You should just, you should have done this a long time ago for yourself. You know, what do you think? What do you think? How do you feel about her? (laughs) Well, so I feel like for me, it was, I feel like the only literary term that I know that I talk about consistently on this is, is a foil. (laughs) I know. I know more literary terms than that. I get books, but we just we just read a lot of foil heavy we, yes, material. Yes, precisely. <laughs> I and I think that I think that for me, looking at Yui versus looking at Takeshi and and kind mm-hmm. of looking at them in in you know as mirror images of each other, I felt like I understood Yui more by understanding Takeshi. And I think that it's just really yeah. interesting when you consider like for for Yui like the loss felt very complete 
because it was like she lost her mother, she lost her daughter. There wasn't she she felt like she didn't have anything else. Whereas Takeshi, like yeah. he lost his wife, but he had his mother, he had his daughter. Yeah. And which were the two roles that Yui lost. And so I mm-hmm. I think it was she they were exactly what the other needed. Yeah. And I feel like it's it's hard for me to just like look at Yui on her own because the story is largely told, I feel like, from her point of view. Mm-hmm. Um but I found I understood her story better with the surrounding characters. Yeah, of Takeshi. I will say, like, there is a sense of, like, yeah, Yui should just be happy because she found someone that literally fits the puzzle of what she's missing. And I really liked that we took, she took that time of, like, actually, I don't know. Like, she kept being like, yeah, we'll be together. But then, like, fully ignored him and his family for I know. like weeks. I will say I uh, was a little annoyed with her about that. I got it. Yes. I like I was like I understand but I was also like girl just be like give the, me a minute. Which she eventually did. I, but I was like Yui. But also like don't say don't say like yeah maybe we'll get married. Don't say that. You know like, you don't want to yet. Just say yeah. like hold on. Yeah. I need more time. I think that was yeah, that's what I was frustrated about. It was very much like she she was like not complicit, but she wasn't actively kind of like not us victim blaming her. Like she wasn't standing up for herself. <laughs> I know, I I know. I knew I knew this was gonna be a tough one for me because I'm the most insensitive person in the world. <laughs> Yeah, you are. That's someone why it's ex- someone real- expresses a feeling and I'm just like, ugh. Ew, please do that somewhere else. <laughs> I'm the, like, truly. This is like, no, this I is agree. a really uncomfortable thing for me to talk about. <laughs> no, I agree. I think like there was that feeling of, it was interesting to see it drawn out that like she wasn't sure because I think mm-hmm. like all the signs pointed that like, look, this is your perfect fit for everything. This will kind of help fix everything. But of what she went through, it's like, I don't know if I like, does not deserve that but also like I don't want to forget obviously like what I had lost I think what I really loved about the book is the scenes where she just kept imagining Hannah as a teenager and like her being like a bad mom even though she like didn't kind of like convince herself like I'm not gonna be a mom for her like it's not gonna happen but I just felt like that that kind of like spiraling. I was like, oop, I can relate. I don't stay in the present. I keep worrying about mm-hmm. the future. I know what that's like. Um, so I really kind of like, that was kind of how I, I really felt for her when she started doing that. Cause I was like, ugh, I, okay, I get it now. But I do want to like, it does feel like, oh my, I don't even remember her name anymore, but from good company, like, you know, she was obviously going oh, through kind of like similar things. Flora. And I'm like, yes, Flora. I'm like, I buy it for Yui, but not from Flora. Yeah. I think, I think for me, one of the, so when Takeshi was like, we should get married in May. And Yui is like, I feel like I just started a conversation in the middle. Like, I feel like I missed the beginning of the conversation. Mm-hmm. And I felt like that was very true to her. And I think really true to like how we experience life where it's like all of a sudden 
we're in the middle of a conversation and we don't remember how it started yeah. or, you know, when it started. And so I think that that was really indicative of her character and her life experience. And I also want to say to you, like what you were talking about, how like her, like finding this puzzle, I, in a, in another, in America, this would be a rom-com, right? Yeah. Like, can you yeah. not see the preview already of, uh, yes, and, it's like, like of, very of, lifetime. Yeah. And like looking at it from the outside and you're like, look at this is such fate like you lost your daughter and here's this one you know and i i i respect that this is very true to life like it's very yeah rooted in reality you know they're not trying to to put a bow on this perfect relationship yeah i mean even like for me it took me a while i had to kind of like go back and remember like wait takeshi was just a guy right that she was there and i think like that's a really good like she did a really the author really did a good job of pacing it because it's like you don't really kind of get invested in Takeshi's life and that the fact that he has a daughter until like way later like it the connection of them kind of like have a collective grief that maybe they don't really know exactly why the other person's there yet but they're both there at the phone booth the garden and they're hanging mm -hmm. out with the caretaker like that's kind of like the bulk of it for the, a, a major part of the book. And then later you see that like, oh, you see the fate, you know, that the, like what he has and what she has and that it could fit. I think when they were starting to realize it in real time, because even like the caretaker, uh, Suzuki-san, he was like, I think they're going to be together. Like, you know, like, right. and that's when mm -hmm. the, she, the book started kind of revealing like how it could work. Mm -hmm. um, so I did like that because then it paced it paced their relationship for us that it like did feel really realistic and genuine and didn't feel like, you know, rom-commy. Mm -hmm. I also appreciate what, I'm sorry, who's the author? What Laura did. Laura. Yes. I appreciate Messina. what Laura did in, um, in having Yui be like a radio personality because she already she already had her wind phone. It was her audience yeah. every day, you know? <gasps> and it yeah. Ali! <laughs> yeah. Yes, RJ. She already had her wind phone and what she needed was a Takeshi. She needed a person that she could relate to on a personal level. And so that oh was Oh my her god, Ali. That was her growth in going to Belgardia. Oh my god, Ali, you just blew my mind. I was always just I kind of stopped at like, oh, it's ironic that like she can't bring her like and like they even caught like a lot of characters were like, she doesn't really talk much, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, it was Takeshi's mom where it's like she doesn't really talk much when she's here with Hana. But you hear you listen to her radio program and she's like a regular like Ari Shapiro, <laughs> just right. or Ari, yeah. Ari Cornish and just like, yes. so the paradigm shifts of blah, 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 blah. Right, like, right. <laughs> yeah. Like what words are these? What words are these that I'm like, oh, I think it, I, I kind of stopped it at there. I'm like, oh, this is a fun device that like she mm -hmm. there's multiple sides of her and one shows up more. But I didn't realize that. Like, yeah, like what is she actually looking for? Like, it's not it's not really accessing or talking. Yeah, that's interesting. Look at you. It'll sh that'll show it to all the, the listeners who are making fun the of me. Oh, foil. here comes. Allie foil again. 
Uh, See, I know stuff. She knows stuff. She yeah, knows stuff. I um, but I that did. There was a little bit that bumped me a, just a little bit when it was like, "What is her radio show? Is she a DJ? I know. Yeah, is she yeah, and PR. What is the show? I know. Yeah, because it was like, I I got like kind of one A vibes or like the Diane yes. Reem show, but then it was like she was playing full songs, and I was like, "Well, that's not." Yeah. How long is, is she Delilah? on the air for? Yeah, is this Delilah after dark? Which that's okay in the lifetime uh, version of this book, she is a Delilah. She is, yes. And then at the end of the movie, she plays herself a song, <laughs> and she like soundtracks her whole journey. So like, yeah, Takeshi will listen to the radio program to see like how she's feeling because that's yeah. the only mm-hmm. place where she feels safe. Mm-hmm. That's, she can talk. To yeah, that's how he knows where they stand in their relationship. Yeah. Um, how did you feel about all of the, like, uh, I wouldn't, I mean, yeah, like the side stories of, of the other individuals that went to Belgardia and, like, used the phone? Were there any, like, characters that stood out to you or stories? Um, I, not that particularly one stood out for me more than the other, but I really, um, I think that I liked, I got emotional thinking about CEO's story. Yeah, totally. Um, the idea of talking to someone who's still alive, but you're kind of mourning um, something that's not there anymore. Yeah. You're mourning a relationship yeah. that will never be the same. Yeah, and I think that's a really good way for for uh, the author to, like, use the booth, right? Like, to use the wind phone as a way to, like, pe- grief does manifest in different ways and loss is manifested in different ways. And I thought that was really, I think, like, the biggest thing about natural disasters or, like, when there's a loss of life that can't be controlled is the survivor's guilt and, like, mm-hmm. fully kind of, like, seeing that realized in CEO's, like, father of mm-hmm. like he fully had survivor's guilt and that's why he's not the same anymore. I'm like, well, like that, yeah, I really kind of like got emotionally like, oh, whoa, like that's such a a very specific thing to go through in this situation, but immediately like you know under you fully understand what that um what that feels like. Mhm. Yeah. Can I can I change the subject or did you want yeah, to go for it? This? Okay. No, that's it. I I want to approach this delicately. Oh no. It's it's nothing bad. It's really not. Um but I I think what really was hitting me because obviously Hurricane Ida ha- is is going on right now. Um yeah. and it's also the oh gosh, 8 year? No, 2005. Six-year anniversary? That's not right. 2005? 2005 was 16 years ago. Yes. Oh, Lord. Yeah. Hurricane Katrina was 16 years ago. Um, And I think, and so, the and this typhoon was 10 years ago. And I think what's mm-hmm. so interesting in these situations is that um, people are expected... 
it's we, it's there are these situations that are tragedies and that we mourn, but we expect people to when we're done with our grief, we expect these people to move on when like this has so altered their lives entirely. Mm-hmm. Like the reason why I, I was saying that I wanted to approach this sensitively is that um, so when I was 14, I went to Mississippi on a mission trip about nine months after Hurricane Katrina. Mm-hmm. And it was just such an eye-opening experience for me because this was a time at which like no one on the news was talking about it. And there were still people who were living in these like FEMA trailers and that was all that they had. And so it's just, it's, it's one of those things where I think it's so interesting that like we find ourselves wrapped up in these natural disasters and these tragedies for the span of a week and a we, new cycle like, uh, for like a new cycle. cycle and like yeah. we we try like we make a show of like grieving but then we expect you know everyone like the people who are actually affected by it like once we're past that new cycle we don't want to hear about it anymore mm-hmm. we're like you know we've moved on why haven't you and so i think that this was i think a really interesting reflection and in, in way to to look at these different types of grief where it was like for Yui, you know, she lost her, her mother and her daughter in this very well publicized, um, way that it was like, you know, if you said, you know, people already had these preconceived notions about who you were and what you'd gone through, but then there was someone like Takeshi who his wife died from cancer. I'm assuming it was like like an illness. I'm assuming it was cancer. Mm -hmm. And so it's just, it's these different concepts of, of grief and like how we look at people and what their grieving processes should look like. I don't know what point I'm trying to make. It was just something that I was thinking about a lot when I was reading was just kind of reflecting on my experience, like talking to these people who had gone through the hurricane and like thinking about how, you know, we would as humans, if we like met someone who experienced what happened it's not a typhoon it's a tsunami mm-hmm. lord the tsunami in 2011 i'm <laughs> and like and and you know how we would treat them versus somebody yeah. that we had just heard that like their wife died or something like that yeah, you know and, yeah. and kind of the external expectations of of grief and how people can move on from it yeah i mean i do kind of see the point you're doing of yeah like at the booth or in this garden all grief is validated, you know, mm-hmm. and like whether whether it's it happened through, yeah, like through like a, a personal reason or um, in an, in the natural disaster that a lot of the people that go there, like it, it happens, they, there's a place for them and you can find like any sort of, you can find like comfort in that and like your grief isn't judged, which I feel like, I don't know if it's a more Western like, way of dealing with grief but like we are so obsessed with um there's like the performance aspect of it where it's like look we're Mm -hmm. showing that we're like grieving and like we're Mm -hmm. good people and there's just so many layers there's like politicizing grief and like like i feel like that's a very western idea too of like placing blame on on grief and i i do like from the from the just few things that i've seen like from like uh, like Asian media, like and literature and film, like death and grief is like a completely different way of of being like.
packaged or valued. There's a lot more honor and respect in it rather than I feel like here in the West where if it's like a big public thing like this, there needs to be some kind of shame that needs to be applied to someone because like we as like a Western audience have to be like, who is the bad guy? You know, like we have mm-hmm. to p- place the blame on someone. Cause even like with the hurricanes that we experience through here, there's always a bad guy, like local government, federal government, like blah, blah, blah. There's always something to blame. But when it like, you know, like for the tsunami, like it did feel like it was just, it, that was, that was not important. It was a fool's errand almost like you, the, what was really focused on was like, how do we, how do we process the, the loss? that happened mm-hmm. yeah um i do want to talk about the kids a little bit in the book hannah um because i think she did a really good job of kind of describing and like just really like f- like i just children and literature are so unique especially like when it comes to like really a, like a profound and deep story and novel like this because there's there's that essence of like kids will just say what's on their mind they're they have no blocks Mm -hmm. of of like shame or embarrassment really like they'll just like kind of say what's clearly there so it almost sounds like they're very profound but then they're very like simple at the same time like I just I love when books kind of play around with that in uh characters that are that are children because it's like oh like there's that loss of innocence that everyone goes through as an adult and I that's probably why like she did describe that like her becoming a teenager and her kind of like being more you know uh more mature in that way like there's that sense of like yeah as a kid it's just like my mom isn't here anymore so I'm not gonna talk and like now that I, you know that now that I finally have talked to her again then now I'm talking again like there's mm-hmm. just like a sense and she's also just will call things out like as she sees them and like I don't know I just I really liked it like the main thing that I wrote down was when they celebrated Hannah Hannah's uh, birthday um it was just like it felt like I don't know. Like, there's a sense of like she's such she's she's so deep, but she's just a kid. She's just seeing what yeah. she's just saying what she's seeing. You know. Yeah, she just wants the same things as you know six year olds do. Yeah. Um. What did you think about the the kind of opposing sides of where like Yui was reading all of these things and she was like trying to prepare for Hana's, uh, like start start at school and Takeshi was just kind of like talking to his coworkers and they were like comparing notes with each other. What did what did you think about that? It it was really interesting to like be bogged down on something really not basic, but it's just like I don't know, it just felt like they were so <laughs> honed in on something so like specific and I don't know if it's more of just like a to kind of show that like life has to go on. So it's like, it's easier to just like really hone in on something so specific as like her going back to school. But is it like, I forget, but is it, did she, was she not speaking? 
No, she was speaking at that point, but they were just trying to get her ready for school. And like Yui was had read that book that was like, it has to be a revolution. Mm-hmm. And so that was what she kept saying to Takeshi. She was like, there must be a revolution. And it's like, she's she's just starting first grade. You know, she's like, first grade. Yeah. Um, yeah. And kind of there was more in it for her than just like a six-year-old starting first grade. You yeah. Know? Well, that's the thing too. Like she's clearly like, she's clearly projecting stuff that like she knows she can't have because like her daughter is gone. So it's like, these are the things that I would have probably told her or like what I have wanted for her. Um, and now I'm like, yeah, like projecting it onto Hannah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I had a really visceral moment in the book when I was like reading it. And then all of a sudden it was like, Roman numeral two. I'm like, I am like a hundred, like 230 pages in. And this is that all I read was part one. Yeah. <laughs> Cause it was like fully the whole story. And then the second yeah. part is literally like present moment. Now she mm-hmm. is trying to save, uh, she's trying to save the phone booth because there's another like really big storm and, uh, Suzuki son is in the hospital. So no one like protected everything. So, they didn't go into detail. It's like just said afterwards, but like, I guess she was there, like put everything in tarps, like nailed mm-hmm. them, like put the, put them in like stakes on the ground so that they wouldn't topple over. But I was like, Oh, that's right. I feel like a full life just happened. And now we're like, back yeah, here again. <laughs> it was very jarring to be back because it starts. I mean, it starts in the middle, right? Just like, right. just like Yui says, it starts in the middle, uh, and then we go back to when she first hears about it, and then we then get back to present day, and it just it did it did for me. It felt very jarring to be like, oh, okay, okay, we're going back to this now. We're going back to what we were reading at the beginning, which is she's caught up in this storm. Yeah, it didn't. It did. It did feel weird. Like when I finally got there, I was like, that's weird that there wasn't even like one chapter to kind of help pace it in sometime in the middle of that to like be like oh that's right we're back here again so Mm -hmm. I mean I know it was deliberate obviously and like to really engross you into like where she was how she got to that point um but like how did you feel about her finally making the call finally going into the phone booth um good I I think that like what you were saying where it was like by that time it didn't I felt like it didn't truly matter whether or not Mm -hmm. she did. I was glad. I think I was glad that she did. I was also glad I went back and forth on whether or not I wanted to know word for word what she had said. Me too. And I decided, I decided I was glad that we didn't (laughs) get that. And I don't mean because it's, we didn't really get anyone else's. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. We we didn't hear anyone's full on. We always got like what she saw and mm-hmm. was like, oh, I I believe and almost like she's making guesses or, you know, like from Suzuki son of like. This is this person's story, so that's probably like they're probably asking this or that or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think what I was more caught up in was when I got to the end, I thought it was really weird that we didn't know Yui's daughter's name thank you me too the entire time i was mm-hmm. like oh it, she just kept referring to yui's yui's mother yui's daughter 
Mm-hmm. And I was like, wait. So the one we finally did know their names at the end, I was like, okay. I it didn't I don't know what I was supposed to gain from it, from mm-hmm. like waiting till the very end. Yeah. I think that was to me, to me, honestly, finding out her name was a bigger payoff than her actually speaking. <laughs> Going in the, into the because it just it yeah. did it just felt very off to me that this was you know that it was like this abstract concept. Mm-hmm. It was like we never got you know we found out so many details about who they were as people and how they behaved and what they wore and the things they liked to do, but we never found out their names. Yeah. And maybe yeah. that was maybe that was intentional because in in instances like this so often the only thing we know is the name. Mhm. I don't know. Um I will kind of like to kind of tie the bow around this discussion. Sure. There was like one kind of like really good memory or really good excerpt that I really was like, "Oh, wow." But it was when uh, they wrote that they here let me just read it as Yui opened the door onto the dense silence of her house she concluded that memories were like objects like the soccer ball that was found on the coast of Alaska a year after the tsunami 3,000 miles away on the other side of the Pacific Ocean sooner or later they always floated back to the surface I was like oh first of all the really that image of of that soccer ball and like Mm -hmm. Just that idea of like, oh my gosh, yeah, there is there is something about like things will just appear. You know, it's like this is just how it is. Like this is just yeah. how the reality of the situation is. Um, but I was like, I like I like dog-eared that, I underlined it. I was like, oof, that's a really good image. Um, and I think that, yeah, like the the idea of like memories resurfacing, because you know, ultimately when you have lost someone that's all you have and so you're trying to grasp onto those memories and just grasp onto anything to kind of keep them keep them alive so mm-hmm. i do think like i'm very i'm very happy being we were <laughs> god <laughs> he said being alive oh keep him alive um that is i <laughs> i will say uh very happy we read this book. I do agree that, like, yes, it is definitely like a portrait of grief. And if 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 anyone is kind of going through this right now, definitely recommend this book to kind of help you understand the journey that you're about to go through and how it manifests to different situations, different character, different characters. Um, I was about to say something and I completely lost it. It was something about. Uh oh oh this is so dumb. Um we do we do we have we don't have many segments in the show, but we have one where it's like we <laughs> say the hottest moment of the book, which I don't know if that's appropriate for this book, but there was a little bit of like when when like when Takeshi was like, when are we getting the directness? You know, of like, when are we getting married? Yeah. And the like, the in depth, like the way that they kind of declared his feelings for her. I was like, okay, that's really hot. It was just very like direct. And there was a, a footnote of like, they used a colloquialism of like, I like you, uh, mm-hmm. which is very like, I love you, ditto. It's <laughs> that, that vibe. 
of like the fact that it's very much like Ditto. just the I like yeah <laughs> the fact that it's the that term for Swayze. I like you yeah <laughs> the fact that it's like I like you um in like Japan that's almost seen as like more kind of like more passionate or more mm-hmm. like meaningful so I was like oh that is kind of hot and then the chapter immediately after was like what was he wearing and it was like a Darth Vader's <laughs> hoodie <laughs> I was like, ooh, hot, really hot. Bucket of cold water. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's probably that's probably the hottest moment um, in the book. Because they didn't even, I was really scared that they were going to kind of like go into like, I don't know, just like talk about like the passion about them too. And so I'm glad that it wasn't a lot. I don't know. Does that make sense what I said? Like, I feel like mm-hmm. there's that sense of like, oh, the two finally like were able to like, whatever. You didn't want it to be been... gratuitous. I Exactly. And I think they did a really good job of like, it was still very realistic because it's like her being in his house all the time, I can make the assumption what's going on. I'm filling in the, the gaps of what they're not telling me. Um, but I'm sure Takeshi is very hot. That's that's what I imagine. He's a hot he's doctor. Like, he's a hot doctor. Absolutely. But anyway, that is we're closing the book on that. That is the phone booth at the edge. You didn't ask me world. what my moment was. Oh. <laughs> when CO and hold his on. coworker got curry and talked about the Wait, hold on, hold on. Let me do that again. Oh. Uh did you Ali, did you have a moment like that where just really yeah. stood out to you? Yeah, mine was when CO and his coworker got uh, curry and talked about the Bible. <laughs> that was a little I I okay. To to CO's point, I was like, okay, I do. I I mean, I went to Catholic school all my life, so I am always like wary when there's like something biblical involved that I'm like, oh, oh what are you trying to do? And I'm like, okay, portrait of grief. I understand. This is his way. This is how he is dealing with it. Um, but I also like, you know, my mom is a nurse, so I'm, I'm used to hospital cafeteria, like vibes. I just liked, I liked the familiarity between them where she's like, yeah. I got you a spoon. You always forget a spoon. What's That's hotter the than rom-com. someone knowing you? That's true. Yeah. What's hotter than What's being hot- seen? What's hotter than just like being in scrubs all day? You know they made a TV uh, show about that, and it's called Scrubs. Wow, I didn't. I had no idea. Completely missed it. But yes, we're closing the book now on the phone booth at the edge of the world by Laura Imaimasina. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Laura. All right. So for our next book, we're gonna do something a little bit different. We are going to be posting two books on our Ampleverse Instagram. That's at the Ampleverse. Um, on our Instagram stories when this episode drops. So make sure if you're watching this, uh, and you'll also see it on the Instagram, so make sure you follow at the Ampliverse on Instagram. You will see two books, and you get to tell us which book we should read for our next Ampliverse book club. Will it be Infinite Country by Patricia Engel? Or will it be Detransition Baby by Tori Peters? Both bestsellers. Uh... Detransition Baby was in Roxanne Gay's book club 
and Infinite Country was in Reese's book club. If that'll help sway anyone's. No Jenna though. Nothing from Jenna. I see. Oh, no Miss Jenna, Jenna Bush Hager, <laughs> where are you? Jenna, where are you? We've we've out Jenna. We lost touch. I think. We lost touch with Jenna. So yes, those are our two options. Please follow us on the Instagram at the Ampleverse. Let us know what you'd like for us to read, and please read along with us. Thank you so much for watching and listening along. Uh, follow us on social media at the Ampleverse on Twitter and Instagram. Our Discord server is also linked on this episode where you can join in on the conversation outside of the show with other Ampleverse fans. Finally, if you love the show and the others we do here, please feel obliged. Uh, and if you feel obliged to drop a tip or two, you can do that on our coffee, which helps support keeping the lights on in our universe. Ellie, thanks again so much for joining me today on the Ampleverse Book Club. Thank you for Allie and I are about to go on a road trip. Woo! Literally in two days. So I'm very excited I'm to spend the whole weekend. Yes. Thank you everyone for watching and we'll see you next month. Till then, read on. Bye-bye. Star Voices,